Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 47 to 56. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen in this way? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were abandoned? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, thanks be, be to God. God. may be seated. Well, thanks be to God indeed. Thank you, Brad Barr, for reading our scripture lesson this morning. And Mason, thank you and praise team. I think uh, I have a new favorite in this Highlands uh, what an anointed song for this time in our lives. We're grateful to you and to, my goodness, how great it is to hear you guys sing again. It's wonderful to see you, but to hear you too. Patsy and James and Shelby and all who've led us. Uh, and I apologize for renaming the state in the announcements. I didn't intend to do that. It's a little bit of COVID brain, which I think all of you can probably identify with. But also, today is the first Sunday that our son, Andrew, is beginning his new ministry at Noonan First Methodist Church in Noonan, Georgia, uh, as the associate. So I've been praying for him all day. So I have combined my two favorite states in the announcements this morning. And forgive me for that. Um, if you have been with us these last three weeks, today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. And we're continuing our series, our Lenten series, during these 40 days called Passion. And if you look closely at this particular slide, you can see each week we're moving from the anointing of Bethany, you see over the P, to the Passover meal last week we talked about, to the betrayal of the 30 pieces of silver and Judas's betrayal in the garden. In short, we're sticking with Matthew 26, and so for these six weeks of this 40-day fast, we're looking at only two chapters of Scripture, Matthew chapters 26 and 27. And last week, as mentioned, we looked at the Passover meal that Jesus served on Monday Thursday, or what we would call Mandate Thursday, when Jesus said, a new mandate I give unto you, that you're to love one another even as I have loved you. And Jesus served the Seder meal at that time, the Passover meal. And at the table during that time, he addressed the elephant in the upper room. One of you will betray me, he said. 
And then, it's a miracle, he actually, even after predicting betrayal, he fed them. He nurtured them. He took the matzah, the unleavened bread, which celebrated the rush out of Egypt during the Passover, and said, this is my body given for you. He took the cup, he blessed the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And for many, we're a part of the many for the forgiveness of sins. And he transformed the meaning of the Seder from simply a meal commemorating deliverance from Egyptian slavery to deliverance from sin and death. And we're going to come to the table at the conclusion of this service. Later that same night, Maundy Thursday evening, Jesus and friends went to a favorite spot. They used to love to go there to talk and to pray. It's a place I've been there, some of you have been there, called Gethsemane, which literally means olive press. There's a garden there. It's, it's an olive grove, olive trees everywhere on the east side of Jerusalem, there at the Mount of Olives. And there you may remember Jesus prayed the most remarkable prayer, the nevertheless prayer. Knowing that death was coming, knowing that the cross was coming, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but your will be done. And while Jesus was praying, one of the 12 who had disappeared after the supper reappeared in the garden with a posse. And the text begins. As Jesus was still talking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the religious professionals, and the elders of the people. In other words, it's not Rome's finest that would make the arrest of Jesus. It's the temple police. It's the temple security with a little help from an insider. If you go back a few verses to chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, you will see Judas, one of the twelve, cutting a deal with the religious professionals. After the supper, he would lead them to the place, the garden, where they prayed, and get this, he would betray Jesus with a kiss. That was their sign. That was their cue. Now, the one that I kiss, Judas said, that's who you're looking for. Yeah, personally, I've always wished that that text said, now, the one I hit with a stick, that's Jesus. That would be more honest, wouldn't it? Or the one that I kick in the shin, the, the guy that I, I punch in the short ribs, that's the man you're looking for. But he does it with a kiss. That's pretty devious. It's unthinkable, really. It's unfathomable. And notice again how Judas addresses Jesus, same way as he did at the table we talked about last week. Greetings, Rabbi. Same as the Passover. No longer does Judas refer to Jesus as Lord, as the others do. He calls him Rabbi. The term is used most often by those who are in opposition to Jesus, rabbi, teacher. And so what you see in that little shift in address is that the insider has become an outsider. 
the friend has become a foe. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, the thorn from the bush that one has planted, nourished, and pruned pricks more deeply and draws more blood. How true it is. Every year during Lent, we we do the same thing. We try to figure Judas out, don't we? How could he do it? What was he thinking? Was it just for the money? He did get paid 30 pieces of silver, but that wasn't a lot of cash. It wasn't like he hit the jackpot. That wasn't going to buy a place on the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't enough to retire on. So why? Judas. We said last week that Judas may have been disappointed in Jesus. You ever been disappointed in Jesus? All this fuss about the cross, all of this fuss about suffering and sacrifice, Judas just wasn't into any of that because, frankly, Judas wanted mutiny, not martyrdom. He wanted revolution, not reconciliation. In fact, I think I could make a case for the fact that that Judas actually wanted Jesus to come out swinging, not submitting. And maybe, just maybe, Judas thought to himself, if I can coerce him, if I can apply some pressure, if I can create a confrontation, Jesus will call out the troops and we'll have a coup. In fact, Jesus even says in the very text that Brad read for us that he could call 12 legions of angels to his defense. But he adds, then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus repeats this over and over again. The scripture and the prophets must be fulfilled. He could have called down fire from heaven, but he didn't because of scripture. There was, however, a little fracas in the garden. You notice after the kiss, when the mob started to cuff Jesus, Matthew says that one of the disciples whipped out his trusty sword and wounded a servant, the chief servant of the high priest. In other words, he severed his ear. And it's kind of humorous to me that Matthew won't say who did it. Uh, John sings, he'll tell everything. He says it was Peter. Well, it sounds like Peter to me, doesn't it? Impetuous, impulsive, imprudent, nerve-ending Peter, rowdy, rash, reckless Peter. And his reaction reveals that Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed Judas, Jesus that night. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, but Peter betrayed Jesus with a sword. He came out swinging. He struck a blow for the movement, and probably it felt pretty good for a moment, don't you think? I'll be honest with you, whenever I've read this little detail, I'm kind of sympathetic with Simon Peter. I mean, there's, there's a little rush of adrenaline in me that says, sick em, Rambo, it's payback. But this act of violence is actually also an act of betrayal. It's not Jesus' way. It goes against everything that he taught. 
I shared in our experience yesterday with the leadership that one of my pastor friends in Atlanta told me recently that he had had a call from a psychiatrist friend who said, Pastor, I'm, I'm having to take some little mini sabbaticals during this pandemic. I've never had to do that. But he said, I'm having to do that now because my patients are so angry. And he said, I'm finding myself getting angry about their anger. And I get it. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who's written this incredible book, Old Testament Lessons in Leadership, says, and I quote, leadership is learning to listen to anger with grace. Leadership is learning to listen to anger with grace. And that isn't easy. It is so easy to internalize, isn't it? Especially in COVID, to internalize the frustration and the anger that we all legitimately feel. But learning to listen to anger with a grace, it is essential if you're going to follow Jesus. You remember Jesus' sermon, his teaching on the mount? He said some pretty strange things like, like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. If someone strikes you on your face, turn the other cheek. In the same breath, in the same sermon, he has the audacity to say, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons and daughters of God. Mm. Dr. Todd Bolsinger, who did our seminar, our webinar on leadership last week, our summit, reminded us of an old quote that I think was originally attributed to a Navy SEAL. This is the quote. In times of crisis, when we're under pressure, we don't rise to the occasion, we sink to the level of our training. That's true. That's why spiritual formation is standard for a disciple. It's not a luxury item. That's why spiritual discipline is absolutely necessary for a disciple. And the truth of the matter is, Peter forgot his training. <laughs> he needs to go back to Sunday school. I was thinking of G. Campbell Morgan. You remember that name, G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great British preachers of the early 20th century. One Christianity Today called him one of the 10 great preachers of our time who said about this scene that we've read about of Peter. Listen to what he says. Simon drew his sword and struck a blow for Jesus. I know it was wrong. It was honest passion, but it was passion without knowledge. Jesus' last miracle, a divine surgery on Malchus's ear, was rendered necessary by the blundering zeal of a disciple. And says Morgan, I sometimes think that the Lord is still healing wounds that zeal without knowledge folk make on other souls. 
I feel for Peter. I'm not criticizing the big fisherman because Peter is me. Peter is you. He was just trying to protect Jesus. What's wrong with that? Well, I'm not sure that Jesus needs my protection. I'm pretty sure he's able to fend for himself. We need his protection. But our primary task as disciples of Jesus is never to defend Jesus. It is to embody Jesus, to live out our training, to love God and neighbor as ourselves. And that requires a cross, not a sword. A friend of mine, a member of this church, told me recently that he had discovered that his job as a CEO was primarily to be a CRO. And of course, I wondered what the R was. And he said, my job is to be a chief repetition officer. In other words, to reiterate over and over and over and over and over the mission, the mission, the mission, the purpose of the company. And I said, that's my job. Our job is to echo what Jesus taught so that in the heat, we might fall back to our training. And Jesus never taught us to come out swinging. He taught us to come out serving and healing and loving and trusting and never the lessing. And what Jesus taught, he lived at the cost of his own life. He redefined kingship. Turns out that a real king doesn't inflict evil. He absorbs evil. And he brings the spiral of anger and hostility and violence to an end. He doesn't need us to protect him. He needs us to proclaim him in word, in deed, in sign, because Jesus did not come to conquer the world by the sword. He came to redeem the world by a cross. And sometimes we, like Peter, are all too ready to fight for a cause, but we're rarely willing to suffer for the cause. When the disciples realized that non-resistance was the price of following Jesus, what they do? Bamoosed. They all fled. And in their fleeing, they too betrayed Jesus. And I get it. And if I'm honest with you, I will tell you this is why sometimes in 38 years of ministry, I too have wanted to flee my own calling. Because frankly, I'd rather go down swinging a sword than bearing a cross. But Jesus won't have it. <laughs> because when I choose my own way, I'm no longer operating in love. And I wonder, where did Jesus go? 
only to realize he never left me. I left him. I got to go back to my training. Last word. I mentioned a couple of times uh, the webinar, this leadership conference that we hosted on Zoom for our elected and spiritual leaders among our lay people and the bishop in the cabinet also joined us. The connectional table of our conference is a wonderful two Saturday mornings, nine to 12. We concluded yesterday, it's been very helpful. The whole thing has been about spiritual adaptive leadership that I think has been incredibly timely uh, because of the climate that we're living in with the, the pandemic and the cultural, political, racial divide, the uncertainty and ambiguity And how on earth do we advance in faith together in the midst of all this mess? And so last Saturday, I was getting ready for the webinar. I was meeting in the conference room upstairs with David Jean, our tech guy, making sure that the technology, well, making sure that I knew what I was doing. And just before we started, I got a text from our bishop who actually was to speak the next week. He said, I'm at the door of the church. Can you let me in? And I thought, well, You're speaking next week, but I wondered why is he here? But he's the bishop, and I'm a pawn, and so I went downstairs back where Patsy sits uh, to let him in. And when I saw him outside the entrance, outside the window, he was standing there with a young woman talking, and I just figured that she was his assistant. So I said, y'all come in. It's good to see you. And we walked down this hallway and up the the staircase, making small talk along the way. And we went into the conference room, sat down, and I went over some things with them about the morning. And all the while, I was thinking, why doesn't the bishop introduce his assistant to me? And finally, about 30 seconds before we started the webinar, I looked at this woman and I said, by the way, my name is Davis. She said, hi, I'm Jenny. And then the bishop turned to her and said, hi, Jenny, I'm Bill. And I realized something is not right. I thought she was with him. He thought she was with us. And 30 seconds before the Zoom starts, I turned to her and says, it is so good to have you with us, but who are you? And she said, I saw an advertisement about something happening at the church and I thought it would be helpful I said, well, actually, it's online, but you stay with us. And the camera started rolling. I did the Bible study on Romans 12. She was beside me. She showed me her Bible, her bookmark, Romans 12. She'd been studying that text that very morning. When Todd gave his presentation, he mentioned the date of March the 14th, the date that his world was changed, he said, when his daughter was married, and she looked at me with a tear, and she said, that's my sobriety birthday. At the break, she said to us, actually, I thought I was coming to an AA meeting. And I said, well, that's actually next door. And she said, but this is so meaningful to me. Is it okay if I stay for the whole thing? I said, absolutely. (laughs) And then it hit me. I said, I I know who you are. You're the angel unaware. And I suddenly remembered in my training, Hebrews 13, 
verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some have entertained angels unaware. Her presence, though completely unexpected to us, was not an accident at all. It was providential. The training that I received last Saturday was not from a computer. It was from that woman. And she reminded a bishop and a pastor that when things seem ambivalent and uncertain and unclear, you must default to your training and to your trainer, who, by the way, is still on the throne, (laughs) who's still moving mountains and still moving among us and within us and in spite of us in ways that we don't always know all the way to a cross. I want to tell you, your presence in this room this morning or on this stream is no accident. Jesus has been expecting you. And there's a place at the table for you. When you eat the bread and drink the cup, you will know you're in the right place at the right time. And you may actually taste and see that the Lord is good and experience this deep passion of God's love for you. I pray it will be so. In Jesus' name, amen.